Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode, the Super Bowl ending episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. His name, Ian Harditz. Ian, buddy, good to talk to you. Good to be back, Josh. I know. Good to be back. And it's about a great game. I mean, last night's game was unbelievable. Obviously, as you all know, the Chiefs won 31-20. to The story is just Patrick Mahomes. I mean, this was a 20-10 to lead that the 49ers had. But what I will always take from these memorable spotlight games that are as big as a Super Bowl are individual performances. And there's no doubt in my mind for the next 5, 10, 15 years, this one will be remembered by Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense scoring 21 straight points and overcoming a 10-point deficit. I know Damian Williams was awesome, and a lot of people think maybe he should have gotten the MVP for the game, which I don't know because the biggest thing in this game was how were the Chiefs going to respond to a 49ers defense that had the league's best pass rush and somehow did that by only rushing four guys on just an overwhelming amount of their plays. I mean, you could not ask a quarterback to have a tougher just game period. That's why, you know, even though Mahomes wasn't great until the fourth quarter, like, I don't even want to say he was bad. The 49ers hmm. defense is that good, and we've seen them be that good all season long. So, yeah, it took, for the, took until the fourth quarter for them to finally break, but... 31 points against the 49ers. They absolutely deserve to win that Super Bowl. It, it might have been the worst performance we've seen, though, from Mahomes through three quarters this season. I don't know if it was his worst, though. Like, well, I, I, I don't. Yeah. Worst has like this connotation of it's bad. Yeah. But obviously, everything in comparison to what Patrick Mahomes brings to the table, it, it's difficult to say any of it is yeah. overall bad because we see bad performances across the league. They just couldn't get anything going. And so much of that is because of this 49ers defense that we talk so much about all season long, especially those first six weeks of the season, just how much pressure they're able to generate. And they were able to, to not dominate, but play just fantastic football for three quarters, yet in the final eight minutes, offensive football just took over, and Patrick Mahomes and the team scores 21 points. I mean, look, their entire defensive philosophy is just based on those four guys getting pressure. That lets Richard Sherman sit at, like, why do you never see wide receivers running past these slower cornerbacks? Because the quarterbacks don't have time to throw the ball downfield. There's no time for them to, you know, Tyreek got loose once on that third and 15. But other than that, like, the amount of times where Mahomes could actually sit in the pocket and look downfield, next to none. So it was, like, the worst he's looked but I don't want that to be mistaken with he was playing bad because the 49ers defense is just so good. And it really caps a, an incredible playoff run by this 
Chiefs offense and Mahomes. I mean, he didn't have to come back from like a 23-point deficit or a 28-point deficit or whatever he had to face off against the Houston Texans. They are obviously down against the Tennessee Titans as well. In fact, this comes from Alex Miglio. Patrick Mahomes came back from a collective 44-point deficit in three postseason games to win by a combined 42 points. I mean, that's in the last three games. It's, we talk so much, and we talked about so much this Super Bowl week, of how the, the league is driven by offense. And when you have a Hall of Fame play caller um, attached to a Hall of Fame quarterback, I think we can already say this, who through three seasons and two seasons as a starter has an MVP award and now our Super Bowl, it's this perfect combination of chemical effectiveness and, and success. And just seeing that always gives them the potential to have these massive quarters. And in the biggest spot of the season, they had one of those massive quarters. And it's also another example of just how much of a cheat code it is in the modern NFL to have an elite quarterback on a rookie contract. Sammy Watkins should not be on this team, like, price-wise. He's the top five highest-paid wide receiver in the entire league. And, you know, we joked plenty of times about Sammy in weeks 2 through 17 of the regular season. The guy, divisional round, two catches, 76 yards. AFC Championship, seven catches, 114 yards, and a touchdown. Last night, five catches, 98 yards. Took it to Richard Sherman, who a lot of people were calling the very best cornerback in the entire league this season. So, uh, obviously, I know the offense goes through Mahomes. It all starts and stops there. But just having guys uh, like Sammy, being able to use a second-round pick on Cole Hardman, having yeah. the fastest player in the league. I mean, there's just – Mahomes is so good that he can create off script, but having Andy Reid's play calls and having some of the talents they do on this offense, just it's what made them Super Bowl champions. Let's take it from the top. Um, I even found it fascinating that prior to the coin toss or during the coin toss, Bill Vinovich forced the 49ers to say, yes, we want the ball. Um, we almost had a Dak Prescott moment here. Well, do you notice he was messing it up too? Like the yes. kicker. What is the kicker doing at the coin toss? <laughs> just, I think it was Cole quit being like, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, I don't know, which was just an amazing moment to start it off. Was. <laughs> I, I do think in many ways the first half showed that this 49ers team from a personnel standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, is if not the best in the league, the second best in the league. And it showed you that with two weeks to prepare, we saw so many intriguing plays, combination, series from both play callers and specifically the 49ers where so much of the week was discussed of how imperative the running game is to them. And, you know, I thought it might be Raheem Mostert. Tevin Coleman actually got the start and really didn't play the rest of the game following that first or second quarter. Yet the most effective person running the football was Debo Samuel on these outside edge runs. And so rather than relying on screens or short passes to get him out in space, Kajian had two weeks to to write plays on a piece of paper and did that magnificently uh, early in this game. Yeah, the first two drives, I mean, Debo had the – I know his runs were magnificent, but they actually dialed up a pass for him that he ended up tucking and just taking off. And this is what we talked about. They only had to throw 27 passes in the first two rounds of the playoffs. So you knew Shanahan was sitting on a boatload of uh, you know trick plays he schemed up over the last few weeks, and it was fun to see those. But on the Chiefs' side of the ball, I thought it was just as impressive. First play of the game, they ran that option, and that kind of – it was something they went back to four or five times throughout the game. Uh, they got the touchdown from one yard out on a lead option. Uh, fourth and one, the second quarter, they converted again on an option. Uh, Travis Kelsey, direct snap, read option on a third and one to get it. Like, just, I don't know how many plays Andy Reid and Eric. Uh, Armstead. Arm, yeah. Uh, oh, Eric Bienemy. Bienemy, yeah. I'm not sure how many, like, 
two-point conversion type plays they had going into this game, but it seems like it was north of 10, which is just wild. I mean, you think about that one play where basically three or four players in the backfield do a pirouette. Yes. The enemy talked about how that was brought from when the first games played at the Rose Bowl, I believe. 1948 Michigan-USC Rose Bowl. And yeah. he, he <laughs> just brought it up like, sure, everyone's seen that game. <laughs> I didn't even know, like, you know, we could watch those games. I mean, 1948 and drawing up a play – that then is effective and works with everyone down blocking and creating this massive cave in the middle of the offensive line that a player can just run through was incredible. A crucial, crucial moment, though. I don't just want to fast forward through the first two quarters, but in the final about two and a half minutes, minute and a half, where rather than taking a timeout to preserve, what, about a minute and 50 yeah. seconds left on the clock, Kyle Shanahan elects to allow the Chiefs to run down the ball, run down the clock, and take the ball with about 50 seconds left, and then until the Chiefs call a timeout, doesn't even try to, the fo- try to throw the football down the field. So he just wastes a complete two-minute drive opportunity when the score was 10-10 at halftime. Yeah, I know everyone's kind of at Shanahan right now but for how he kind of handled that lead in the second half, but to me the two most inexcusable coaching moves were that, which we're talking about, and then also when they uh, kicked the field goal on fourth and two in the third quarter. But sticking here before halftime, yeah, they were punting with a minute 48 remaining. Yeah. Chiefs were after Damian Williams got stuffed. Three timeouts left. 49ers got the ball with 58 seconds after that. So they lost, like you said, literally almost an entire minute. They went ahead. They did two runs, got Chiefs timeouts, and then hit that big pass to Jeff Wilson. Thought they could get Kittle, but no points before end of half. They're just playing scared, and, you know, when you have Garoppolo versus Mahomes, maybe that is the smart way to go about these things, take your points when you can get them. But generally, I think most analytics would agree that, you know, you need to be going for these, especially in in the freaking Super Bowl. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan was asked about that moment after the game. He said he was comfortable with the 10-10 tie at halftime. Do you think that it tells us what he believes in his offense and his quarterback in that scenario? Because I do. It's tough because on the one hand, he's not going, he's not trying to put up points for halftime. On the other hand, he's comfortable enough with Jimmy G to not try to just run the ball against stacked boxes the entire time in the fourth quarter. I mean, the easy thing for him to do would have been to call three straight runs the entire fourth quarter. They probably would have gone nowhere because the Chiefs were completely selling out to stop the run at this point. Instead, he tried to put the game in Jimmy G's hands, but it wasn't consistent throughout the game. So it's, you know, it's a good question. And I, I, I can't read his mind. Obviously, but in a spot where also Kyle Shanahan and I I think he kind of received unfair criticism that 28 to three meltdown when he was offensive coordinator, the Atlanta Falcons against the New England Patriots. The thing about that real quick, uh, I thought Mike Lombardi had an awesome point about that. When he was offensive coordinators, when you're an offensive coordinator, it's your job to score points. It's the head coach's job to tell you when it's time to preserve clock. Yeah. Shanahan kept trying to score points in that game, but right. this one's a little bit different. And obviously. this one, he did not in that moment. And sure, they were getting the ball in the second half. But it was very telling to me that John Lynch, the GM, was up in the booth screaming timeout time in that yeah. scenario, and, and they just weren't calling it. They were very content just to write it out at 10-10 going into halftime. But then they you know, come out. Who? The Chiefs weren't. No, they, they were calling timeouts trying to get the ball back. But it's also notable that once we get into the third quarter, the 49ers are the team that score 10 points. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that then go up 20-10. to 10. Um, I, There were long stretches of this game where Jimmy Garoppolo was able, able to hit his back foot and deliver the football or hold on to it and not be moved around. Not being moved around off your spot 
for 10 to 20 play stretches is kind of a cheat code offensively. And because of that, Jimmy made some really nice throws. And we've seen this, you know, through the 17 games this season, the 18 games this season, where he has great placement. He has a quick trigger. He has receivers that can get open down the field. And he can hit those bucket throws in those moments. But then you look at it, and when it mattered most, when we reached the fourth quarter, when the play action was not available because the Chiefs were up on the clock and up on the scoreboard, does he have that inside him to lift the offense? Like, and not everyone's going to be Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, <laughs> the easy thing to do is just to say, well, one quarterback did it and one, and one quarterback did it and one didn't. Well, sure, you can say that, and I am, but Jimmy just doesn't, ha- and this is the questions we had it all season long. I don't know if Jimmy has it in him to, in those moments, elevate outside of structure, off script. And it's a perfect team in terms of talent and in terms of coaching. But in the moment where it mattered most, it just didn't happen. I would point out, I think they could increase the skill position talent around him a little bit. I mean, you know, Mostert, incredible playoff run, man. Still an undrafted, you know, free agent. They've had McKinnon on the IR all year. You know, Coleman banged up, Breida banged up. Uh, George Kittle, they use him to block, I think maybe more than they potentially should, but when he's there blocking, okay, now Debo Samuel, who we love, Debo's awesome, but maybe not the most polished like route runner at this point. They had to trade for Emmanuel Sanders halfway through the year. I agree with you, like Jimmy G is not gonna be this guy who consistently elevates his teammates, but if that's the case, well, let's try to elevate the talent level of the teammates at the very least to try to fix things moving forward. Um, Cause look, at the same time, they were up 2010 in the they Super were. Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. If uh, Mahomes doesn't complete that third and 15, well, maybe we're not even having this conversation. But, but you play a winnable game for three quarters. Yeah. Like, that's exactly how they wanted to play the game for three quarters. Yet you just have a superhero on the other side. Yeah. And a, a, a player that, and we talked about this exactly leading up into the game. They have the potential in eight minutes to score 21 points. And they did. The biggest difference, though, is, is just against pressure. It's against disruption. It's what your quarterback can do when everyone else lets him down on the field. And Jimmy was one for nine for 20 yards and two picks when pressured this game and didn't complete a ball over 20 yards in the air. And meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes doubled his average yards per target in those moments, average yards per attempt and when pressured in this And game. it's a one-game sample size, but again, we've been seeing this all season. And, you know, the uh, pro football focus, both these guys uh, during the regular season were top five quarterbacks in terms of fewest pressures per dropback. Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, great job keeping their quarterbacks upright for most of the season. The difference was their QB rating under pressure. Mahomes was still a top five quarterback. Garoppolo, 16th. So, again, he's a above average quarterback. I think we can all agree on that. But, you know, if you're an above average quarterback facing Patrick Freak and Mahomes, good luck. And the storyline that so many of us carry through this playoffs is just how much the mobility of Patrick Mahomes adds on yeah. to this offense. And once, like, once Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers and, and those types move on, uh, it would be shocking to me if we ever see quarterback prospects valued super highly that aren't mobile because it, it's just an added dimension that they bring in these moments. And sure, it ended in an interception, but like in a second and 19, Patrick Mahomes making a defender miss at the line of scrimmage then scrambling for 12 or 15 yards um, there were plenty of other times where he was able to buy himself some time drifting away from the, the line of scrimmage. I'm not saying you have to look for a Patrick Mahomes type <laughs> player, but just what he brings mobility-wise after three months ago dislocating his kneecap, 
was an added element this entire postseason. And we saw them, you know, with the season on the line, really lean on him as part of the run game, not just, you know, his kind of scrambling ability, which we all know is so great. But again, going back to all those option looks, like, that was just so huge for them because, you know, when you do let the quarterback be a runner, the defense needs to account for that. Now, all of a sudden, you're playing 11-on-11 football. Every time the 49ers snap the ball and they want to run it, it's 10-on-11 because, you know, we know Jimmy G isn't going anywhere. Only Joe – it was Joe Flacco and one other statue quarterback whose name escapes me. Those are the only guys worse than Jimmy G at scrambling this season. Like, mm. he is a zero as a runner. And you don't need to be Kyler Murray. You don't need to be a Lamar Jackson. You don't really need to be Patrick Mahomes. But you got to give – Or Josh Allen. you got to give us something. Something. Though. Just anything. There were plenty of other players that had major days and major impacts on this game. First one, talk about the 49ers. Nick Bosa played an unbelievable football God. game. DeForest Buckner, an unbelievable football game. Where I think Nick Bosa was credited with 10 pressures. I saw that. Unbelievable. On, I mean – and, and tears after the game because I'm like 38 snaps, like something ridiculous. Wild, <laughs> and that's exactly like if you could tell a 49ers fan heading to this game, you're leading for three quarters. Nick Bosa's getting to the quarterback, forcing him off a spot over and over again. That's the recipe for success. Yeah. But on the other side, I mean, and we talked about this all year long too, Ian, on these Sunday night wrap-up shows on the midweek podcasts, where the Chiefs looked in the mirror this off-season, and last year they basically defensively, just had D. Ford and Chris Jones, and that's it. So this offseason, they say to themselves, okay, we're going to make Tyron Matthew a priority free agent. We're going to deal away D. Ford and go get Frank Clark. Chris Jones took his game to another level this offseason. For much of the year, Juan Thornhill was a great player. Kendall Fuller had an awesome performance uh, on Sunday night as well. Those players, sure, they, they weren't as dominant for three quarters, right? But when a team is trying to chase the Chiefs' offense, again, a moment that we talk about all year, they have players, they have those playmakers in those moments that can make big moments. And Chris Jones did that with batted balls on on third down, on second down, that probably were open receivers, yet they were completely nullified just by the awareness of a pass rusher. Yeah, but Rashad Breeland was awesome as well. Him too. Just him in there. And – What's wild, they did make all those improvements on defense, and they were an offsides penalty last year away from potentially, we're talking about back-to-back Super Bowl champions right now. I mean, when the offense is that good, they're going to be able to compete in any single game. Like, the Super Bowl window is however long they have Mahomes. They're always going to be in a game. The guy has never lost an NFL game by more than one score. Like, you just do not see teams keep leads against this team if they can even build one to begin with. So, couldn't agree more. They have playmakers on the defense. Honey Badger was fantastic all year, especially in the playoffs. Fun team. This comes from Jerry Sullivan. The Chiefs have lost eight games with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, including last year's AFC title game. In seven of those, the opposition had to score at least 29 points. Certainly did not do that last night. Did I mean, not. only, what, 20 points from the 49ers as well. I, let, let's look at the big picture with both these teams real quick. Um, let's look at the 49ers because, again, and I'll keep saying it, I think this was – an ideal game for them for so long, for three quarters of it. And I, I don't understand doubting of anything other than that end of second quarter, I'm not going to call it a meltdown, but decision that Kyle Shanahan had. Um, but Kyle Shanahan's a fantastic coach. You can tell that he changes what this team wants to do each and every week. He adds on to it as the season goes along. You also have defensive talent. Yet, where does this team stand? Because we know that it's nearly impossible to repeat top three defensive performances 
year over year over year. You can throw out Jacksonville from a few years ago. You can throw out the Chicago Bears from last season. The window certainly is not over. In fact, this window might have been one year ahead when really the 2020 season might be the best one for the 49ers coming up. Where does this leave the 49ers to you? So I know the defense, like they might not finish next year number one again, but at the same time, you could not ask for a better core in that defensive line to continue to build around. I do think they have talent at all three levels. I could see it being like the Bears. Like, were the Bears this year as great as they were in 2018 on defense? No. They had some more injuries, you know, different things happened, but they were still awesome. And I think at the very least we can put these guys in as having a top five to ten defense. Um, I've been going through some of the team needs over the last week, and my top three for San Francisco moving forward were the offensive line, cornerback, and wide receiver. I don't think their offensive line's bad, but when Jimmy G's your quarterback and we just talked about all the problems with pressure, like you need to make sure that your number one priority is protecting him. What has, you know, what was Jared Goff's downfall? That was the other quarterback that couldn't move around, Jerry Goff. Um, but what, you know, when they lost the offensive line, Goff just couldn't do anything. You could see it happening with Garoppolo. Cornerback, uh, look, Sherman, great season. I'm not going to put the guy down for one game. But with that, again, it all comes from the pass rush. If you could actually put some talent in the secondary to complement that, could definitely help. And then, you know, wide receiver, get some more weapons. Obviously, they didn't feel good about the position entering this year. That's why they drafted all the guys. I mean, I know they had injuries throughout, but Dante Pettis isn't the one they thought they were. If George Kittle is your alpha number one pass game option, that's fine. Debo's great, but we need more. Emmanuel Sanders is going to be a free agent. Hmm. need more. You know, I've, I've put down and questioned Jimmy at times this season. I did it earlier in this podcast as well. But with that said, I truly believe you can win a Super Bowl with him. Sure. You just have to have so many things go correctly in a game, close to a perfect game. Um, on the same side of that, I do wonder, and this might not be fair, and tell me if this isn't fair, (laughs) if this is kind of the Chiefs' version of when they had Alex Smith. And the Chiefs were a very good team when they had Alex Smith, but they had a ceiling to them, right? They had a ceiling to them because they didn't have a quarterback that could create on his own, elevate everyone around him. So they moved up quite a bit, I believe, from 26 to the number 10 overall pick to go get a player who Brett Veach believed was the best quarterback prospect he has ever seen, and it's turned out to be correct. Now, there's not a Patrick Mahomes every year. There's not one every three years or five years or 10 years. But would it be a disservice to this roster, to this franchise, to not try to improve at the quarterback position, to find someone that we talk about that mobility, to find someone that can elevate everyone around him? Or, like I just said, should they be content with a quarterback that's probably in that, in any given week, the 10 to 17 window and believe you can build a team and perfect enough around him that they can win a Super Bowl? I haven't poured over Jimmy G's contract or anything, but my impression is that they can actually release him in these upcoming years with minimal loss and a kind of dead cap. So... It's a perfect situation. You have a quarterback, like you said, that's going to be 10 to 16. You can live with that. The Chiefs lived with Alex Smith for a long time, went to a lot of playoff games, didn't reach the Super Bowl, but they were a very successful franchise for a good five-year stretch. And I don't think you need to – yes, I agree. short answer, yes, they absolutely need to keep addressing the quarterback position. But not every t- team needs to send, you know, to trade two first-round picks to tr- move up and get Mahomes. With that said, though, you know, Jimmy G would be a trade chip if they do happen to find their own kind of Mahomes guy there. I think better examples to look at, like look at the Cowboys when they got Dak. Fourth-round flyer, why not? Aging quarterback or, you know, different situations. But you can still address the quarterback position without 
blowing your bankroll on a backup quarterback. Um, and, yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't. Anything else about the 49ers or should we move over to the Chiefs? Because this Chiefs window, I mean, it's just starting. Yeah. And it's wild to say. And, look, they, had, they weren't a perfect team at all, you know. I talked about it often on the show where they had, like, the 32nd or 31st run DVOA this season. Yet, and they gave up 100 yards in, like, just over two quarters of, of play in this game. Yet it ultimately doesn't matter because when you're facing teams that are trying to make up a deficit, they have to abandon the run in critical moments. And that's exactly what they faced this year. Um, you have probably the best right tackle in the NFL in Metro Schwartz. I will say that, again, the 49ers pass rush did an incredible job. And one tiny thing that I saw that I'm not going to say it changed the outcome of this game, but the Chiefs understood that in the second half and allowed for chips and extra man to stay in and then added Mahomes is just mobility on top of that to give him those extra moments and extra time to throw down the field. They got the job done. I don't see how this team's going to be any worse moving forward, except they're going to have to pay Patrick Mahomes in a couple years, and then it's going to become, okay, well, what about when they don't have these excess weapons all over Like the a field? Sammy Watkins, who, again, we talked about having a top-five contract the wide receiver position, having a great week one, doing absolutely nothing for 16 <laughs> or 17 games. You don't have that added benefit of players that you're overpaying for much of the season to then come back and earn that money in critical moments. With that said, you know, someone like Patrick Mahomes, we've seen you know, Lamar Jackson do this. It's quarterbacks that can create something out of nothing are pretty much the exact guys you want if you're going to have, you know, potentially underqualified set of skill position players. But it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm, they're probably going to be able to get Tyreek at a discount because of that whole situation. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Kelsey is a guy we're going to have to start looking at year to year just because he is, you know, now I believe approaching 30, if not over 30 already. And, uh, you know, just what we've seen, we saw how fast Gronk fell off. And I know Gronk didn't have Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball, but just these aging tight ends, you got to worry about a little bit. But I think the organization, you know, just through the whole Alex Smith thing, they've always been so forward thinking anyway. I don't think they're going to be satisfied with trying to run back the same roster kind of year after year. Keep improving. And yeah. I'm trying to look at their free agents right now. Obviously, it'll be interesting to see if Terrell Suggs retires after yeah. this game. And he was a storyline that wasn't even mentioned heading into this him. game. That was awesome. He was the one on, like, that third and five throw. Um, was one-on-one against Travis Kelsey, I believe. And Jimmy just didn't make the throw to a wide-open target and hung on to it for just a little bit too long. Uh, LaShawn McCoy is a free agent after being a healthy scratch in this game. It doesn't seem like that. We mentioned how Bashad Breeland had an awesome game. Uh, Chris Jones is about to get paid handsomely. Um, (laughs) He's a player that I believe this, and it was when John Dorsey was the GM, they had a late first round pick. And they just traded out of the first round because they thought they could get Chris Jones in the second round. And he is someone that has just emerged as he was one of those effort players that people talked about at Mississippi State that, you know, they wanted to play with his hair on fire for, you know, every single snap of the game, but he always had these, like, game-breaker moments. And he's really put it all together um, with this Chiefs team up the middle. Um, yeah, and Bashad Breeland's a free agent. I mean, this is a team that's set up really well, Kendall Fuller, but I believe in Brett Veach. I obviously believe in Andy Reid. And you have, once again, an offense that no leader's insurmountable right now and you can rarely, rarely say that. Like, you can't say that about the Ravens, you know? No. We saw that with the Ravens, who were the best offense in the league this season, 
yet when they went down the scoreboard, they didn't know how to react. Yet the Chiefs on the sideline were talking about how they go down by 10 points. They're calling cool. It's nothing different for them. And just string three drives together, boom, game over. Houston was up 24-0 in Arrowhead, and it just didn't even matter. Like, it's, it's just been a story throughout. And Mahomes' he, a short career, and man, I mean, he's on pace to be the best quarterback we've ever seen. Ever seen. Like, seriously, it's I mean, ridiculous. His, the start to his career is mirroring Dan Marino, except he is a Super Bowl He's ring. an offsize penalty away from being a two-time Super Bowl champ. Are there any other moments we need to talk about the offensive pass interference called on George Kittle? I thought it was the correct call by the letter of the law. I will say that Bill Vinovich and this crew basically didn't throw any flags all game. I mean, there were a couple offsides, false starts, those types of things. I don't think there was a single holding penalty or pass interference that was on the defensive side called all game. But there was. There was that one defense with Travis Kelsey getting open the, in the end zone. That's right. I just thought the, the storyline leaving the game that, oh, man, Shanahan blew this again. I know he's now responsible for the two largest blown leads in the fourth quarter in Super Bowl history. You know, that's tough, obviously. But watch those plays in the fourth quarter. Like, you just want the guy to run the ball. And, oh, you know, they've been gaining yards all game. Why can't they keep gaining it? Because they were gaining yards all game. So the Chiefs loaded the box. So they could not run the ball. Jimmy G's got to make these throws, whether it's, the bomb to Emmanuel Sanders, whether it's the third. Which is a moment we need to talk about because there, there, it was 24 to 20. It was a receiver who has a step and a half who, if it's a great throw, it's a touchdown. If it's a good throw, it's a completion, first and goal inside the 10-yard line, and neither happened. And look, we just talked about it at the start of this game. At the start of this podcast, Patrick Mahomes didn't have the greatest game he's ever had for three quarters, yet in the fourth quarter, he was hitting throws that he had to make. Jimmy had to make that throw, and it didn't happen. There's another one drive before that, third and five. Kittle flashes right over the middle. And, you know, it's hard. We don't know the quarterback's reads. We've never had angry men trying to tear our head off as we sit in the pocket, obviously. But, you know, when you see a guy in rhythm and he has that chance and your best player is running across the field wide open, it's hard not to think what if. So, now I, I think we kind of covered the uh, key moments. Sure. Oh, I, I will say also, like, Kendall Fuller should have picked off Jimmy right before the deep miss to Emmanuel Sanders. Like, you know, did Shanahan call the best game of the year? No. And you probably need to be perfect with Jimmy G. But to put the loss squarely on what's been one of the best play callers in the league for the last decade really is just unfair to me. Be interesting to see if they pay Matt Breida this offseason, the 49ers, because he's a free agent Seven as well. Tampa. Let's do it. Uh, let's do that. <laughs> I mean, Matt Breida – to me, is one of my favorite free agents this offseason. You mentioned Emmanuel Sanders, Jimmy Ward is a free agent. Arik Armstead, who I think had stretches of this season who was better than DeForest yeah, Buckner, is a free agent. I mean, this was his contract year explosion. Arik Armstead's a good player, but, you know, he was kind of the first of that group that was drafted as a first-round pick, and he just exploded this year. Um, it's difficult to repeat their style. I, th I mean, I don't want to bet against them, obviously, because I think Kyle Shanahan's a top three, top five coach in the NFL. So and they're keeping all their coordinators as well, which is massive. How much stock do you put in the Super Bowl hangover? Because, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think teams get lucky with injuries. I don't think the 49ers got lucky with injuries this year. They got healthy at the right time. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of their injuries were earlier in the season. They weathered the storm, especially along the offensive line in those scenarios, and they got healthy once they got to the playoffs. Offensive line health, we talked about it with the Rams a while ago. Offensive line health and continuity and keeping that same unit for like three weeks heading into the playoffs and then the entire playoffs is so massive and can never be overstated, in my opinion. And both teams had that this year, yet 
when Weston Richburg went down at center, I do think that there was a bit of a drop off at that position because it's pivotal in a Kyle Shanahan system versus Ben Garland who came in and, and played admirably well. But the, the t and needing a perfect and ideal situation in the pocket and along those running game and, and how, what Kyle Shanahan asks of his offensive line, it's difficult. It's difficult to anyone. You know, I, again, I don't want to count out the 49ers for next year already or anything no. like that. But this NFC West, NFC West, excuse me, is probably going to be the best division in the NFC this year. And look, the 49ers, as great as they were all season, were, what, about an inch away from losing the division to the Seahawks in, like, week 17. Year two, Kyler and Cliff are probably going to take a step forward. I'd be shocked if McVay and the Rams are that bad on offense again next year. Uh, again, we all know what Russ does every single year. So, it's going to be tough for them um, to really make it out of there again because I, I think the NFC is pretty clearly the better overall conference. Hmm. I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to be really competing with uh, Mahomes other than Lamar Jackson. Right. And you talked about the NFC West. It's loaded with Russell Wilson, with Kyler Murray, I guess with Jared Goff, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Yet, you look at the AFC. Careful. I like Drew Locke now. Okay. <laughs> you look at the AFC, and you have – Patrick Mahomes, as you mentioned, and then you have Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, both, I, what, Patrick Mahomes is 24 years old. Lamar Jackson, like, just turned 22 years of age. <laughs> Unbelievable. Being able to see those teams in two very different styles battle it out for a very, very long time. Cannot wait to see. And obviously, you have Tennessee with Ryan Taylor and Derrick Henry as well, and hopefully. I think that's a – and we were talking earlier, like, can the 49ers continue to address the quarterback position? Look at what Tennessee did. I mean, just – Taking a guy at Tannehill, first-round pedigree, you, knew, you know he has the talent, hasn't worked out. Like, what, that didn't cost him anything, and it got him to the AFC Championship. So just address the quarterback position, whether it's a late-round draft pick, whether it's a veteran backup, just always address that. Because when you can find one of these game-changers, there's no greater I, I am a little nervous that you and I are just, like, getting into groupthink here with that. It's something, though, that we did bring up all season long. Because you saw moments of it. It didn't really hurt them in a win-and-loss standpoint. But, you know, we try to watch every single game every single week. And just across the league, you see the quarterbacks that can carry their team at those times. Um, and I just never felt like that with San Francisco. And the thing is, like, you look at – I think of yards after the catch as both a indicator of play calling because you're scheming these guys in open areas and just kind of skill position talent. We've seen Kittle and Debo Samuel do that. Really, a lot was going right for that offense all year, and Jimmy just had to orchestrate it. And, the, again, the orchestration was not that hard compared to what we've seen a lot of other quarterbacks do. So I think that was more the troubling thing. And, you know, part of it also wasn't his fault. But when the guy throws seven passes in a NFC Championship win, it's just hard to give him that much credit. I think that's going to do it. Sounds think we did a good man. job? Yeah, you know, not bad. I think we did a good job. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for sticking with us all year long. Uh, that's our last game preview of the year. Ian, actually... I mean, it's XFL season, Ian. XFL season. People? I will have my mega preview. I've been putting my Just so blood, well. sweat, and tears into for the last two weeks out tomorrow morning. So check it out. We got 10 more weeks of football coming up. The games will be good. We got it on DraftKings. There's some season-long options. Don't cut out the XFL. Just try it. That's you're, all I ask. You're Just try it. complete savage. Uh, later on this week, we have a couple leftover interviews from Super Bowl week. Justin Forsett. Uh, Jordy Nelson, the underground king of the wide receiver position. Hey, nice. uh, we have Gary Vaynerchuk as well. Um, so I'm going to be putting those out this week for our second episode um, of the series. That's going to do it for us. For John Daigle, for Ian Harditz, I'm Josh Norris. Thanks so much, everyone. Talk to you all soon. Justin and so good.
thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois.